to a brand new episode of Sequel Rights, the podcast where we take a look at the franchises that make you go, they made how many of those? And we give each and every sequel a fair trial. <laughs> My name is Justin Camps. <laughs> and I'm here with... Elizabeth Helley. And, and apparently a Southern Tyler Hymanson, because we've been slipping into accents. <laughs> is this your like, Bowen impression no. from last week? <laughs> uh, I was going to say, you know, I was at Lollapalooza all this past oh. weekend, screaming along with songs uh, and rocking out to Jack White, so my voice might be a little bit like, huh. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> you are, in fact, Chromio. Spoiler That's alert. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I split into two different badass people. <laughs> um, welcome back, everybody. We're here talking about the next Dragonheart movie, and the title of that movie happens to be Dragonheart: A New Beginning. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Spoiler alert: Not a prequel like we thought it was going to be. <laughs> I, I did not think it was a prequel ever. I, I went back and listened did. to the first episode and realized that I specifically said it wasn't going to be a prequel. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, I definitely thought it was going to be a prequel. Cause... There's going to be more dragons. Well, then what would the new beginning be? That would be an old beginning. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> a new beginning to the franchise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. In the future. <laughs> okay, it could go both ways. Sure, right? sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is the first uh, sequel to the Dragonheart film. Uh, with Sean Connery. What year is it? This is from the year 2000. And what I love about the Dragonheart film is that it goes from Sean Connery to Roger Moore to Timothy Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> goes through all Eventually the bonds. Pierce vo- voicing <laughs> these dragons. And I can't wait till we get to Daniel Craig. Oh, God. He's no, it's be the Beast. Yeah. It's Robbie Benson. <laughs> Robbie Benson. Uh, we should say, before we go into this more, you should make sure you listen to this whole episode, because at the end, we have an awesome interview with the screenwriter of this movie. Sherry Goodhart. Yes. Uh, and she was awesome. Full, So much uh, insight coming out in that interview. Definitely. So definitely listen if you guys are like... When we go through the movie and you're like, what about this? She probably answers it for it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, so why don't we uh, get right into it and watch that full screen trailer. I'll tell you a secret about that dungeon. There's nothing down there that can transform you into a knight. When it came to becoming a knight... Joff didn't have a chance. Until he found the answer was right in front of his eyes. How long have you been down here? I've always been here. Give me the king's fastest horses. Look at that, a dragon. You have no idea what you've done. Of course I do. I taught him to fly. That aspect ratio, man. <laughs> I put this. I bought the, this DVD and put it in, and I was like, "No, full screen." <laughs> My first thought was like, "Maybe it's one of those ones where you can like flip it over on the other side." Yeah, and no. widescreen. Nope, 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 nope. Since it was made only for home video, yeah. it is all in full screen. Yeah, in so. two thousand, which you wouldn't even think. Like, yeah. Yeah, since this was uh, yeah another another one of the Universal Studios home video 
1440? Yeah. <laughs> Universal 1440. They just love those sequels. And we love them. Yes, we do. We wouldn't exist without Universal 1440. <laughs> <laughs> so the beginning of this movie, we learn that Brother Gilbert has set up a his own monastery, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. He was like, hey, boys, around the realm. Gather round my yeah. castle. Gather to me. <laughs> and also, like, I think I did think uh, that we were going to, even though it wasn't going to be a prequel, that we were going to have no connection to the previous film, which no. is not true. We immediately no. get a summary, a last time on, uh, and then <laughs> yeah. time <laughs> and then a whole montage about what Bowen did after Draco went to the stars. Yes. He got a full body change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And old man makeup. Yep. Um, yeah, so it turns out that, um, you know, Sir Bowen had a dragon egg. Yeah. Yeah, one year before he died, he went back to Draco's cave and found an egg. Yep. Do you and... think that, that that's something that maybe, like, who fathered this dragon egg? And also, so Draco, Sean Connery was a female? Yeah. No. <laughs> I think that's what they're saying. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Here. I mean, this is already we're is already bu- here at one of those things that we're going to tell you that Sherry talks about later. Yeah, but yeah. okay. Uh, there were other if you remember, there were other dragons and they only recently died before the whole Draco so stuff happened. Sir Bowen is not the father. No. <laughs> but I remember you bringing that up. Um <laughs> So yeah, you have to one one should assume that Draco fathered the egg with um one of the lady dragons that Sir Bowen Miscellaneous killed. lady dragon. <laughs> Draca. I think was her name. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sexist. No. <laughs> yeah, we can all remember the old romantic tales of miscellaneous dra- lady dragon. <laughs> <laughs> they will sing her songs. Again. <laughs> so uh, Bowen, who is about to die, gives the eggs, the egg to Brother Gilbert and the monks who then right. keep it till it hatches. They are tasked with uh, watching over it with the old code. Yes. Yeah. And, and then there's a new king who... Uh, after Bowen, who supposedly subscribes the old code, correct? Apparently, except he's like senile. Yeah, right. he's got uh, not not uh, all the screws are he's going mostly on. The, like, he might as well be king of Rohan here. It's like yeah, that's, that's yeah, his yeah. whole deal. Or he's kind of like uh, the Sultan when Jafar like puts. He's like, yeah, what's up? yeah, he's yeah. Not really, yeah, he's not like evil or no. He's just like it seems like or, he's completely yeah. out to lunch. Yeah. Um, so he is naming his new advisor, hand of the king, whatever, um, Osric, mm-hmm. who immediately declares two new tunics for everybody. everybody. And the way he describes it, and then and everyone from every class will wear this tunic, and there's no exceptions. This and I was the- watching this with my girlfriend, and I was like, is he a Nazi? Did yeah. he just say a Nazi thing? And she's like, no, no, he was just giving out free clothes. And I'm like, I think it was yeah. being a Nazi. I totally also, when he first started talking, I was like, okay, free yeah. clothes for everybody? That's cool. I thought he was going to be the bad guy. And then he's like, and this people wear this color. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh no, no, like, no. Nope. Evil. He was like, the colors of the tunics would denote your class and rank. And then also, it'll be the only clothes you can wear. <laughs> 
like, like, like the what? most giving up the ghost of just like, yeah. hello, you just met me. I'm evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I thought that was great. He, he, like throughout the movie, he comes out with these different proclamations. Yeah, yeah. Like, now you all, must do this. All pores will wear brown tunics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to match the dirt that they work in so to... often. Yeah. That's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> so... But that is who he is. Yeah. Oh, we we gave up the ghost a little bit here is that the movie starts with a bit of a uh, uh, prequel and then cut forward. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the egg has hatched and the monks have been raising Draco underground for this entire time i'm not sure how many years like probably 10 years i think it's like 20 years 20 years okay and so whatever uh, makes a teenage dragon yeah so draco (laughs) who we already said was voiced by robbie benson voice of the beast uh in disney's beauty and the beast he uh also is just living isolated (laughs) by himself oh yeah the, the new the new dragon's name is drake Drake. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I think you said Draco. Yeah. Did I say Draco? You didn't oh, say okay. Draco. I don't even remember. And I was saying like, Robbie Benson did a, doesn't mean Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. No, anyways, Drake, which the yeah. real original with the names here. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole setup for this movie is that um, there is a prophecy that a two-tailed Whoa. comet, when you see a two-tailed comet blaze across the sky, sure, a dragon's heart is about to fuck shit up. Right. Or cause mass destruction in the world. Yep. Or something evil, right? So early on in the movie, we see the comet, and now it's like, oh, man, we have a month before this dragon heart is going to destroy the world. Yep. Um, so there's all these people trying to figure out, like, all the dragons are dead, so how can there still be a dragon heart? And only one person knows left in the monastery, mm-hmm. one of the older monks. Um, and we get a couple introduced to a couple new characters who have come from... Uh, Far away. Would you say <laughs> from the far east? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might say that. <laughs> they walked west for <laughs> quite some time. Yeah. Uh, we got Asian people in this movie. Yeah. We do, yeah. And they're not that bad, I think. <laughs> like, they're okay. Yeah. Uh, at least they were both, like, competent, uh, yeah. you know, smart, uh, good characters. Uh, I think. Uh, Quan, Master Quan, the older gentleman who's played by Henry O. I think right when he first came on screen, I was like, oh, this accent is bleh. But like, I think he sort of just like abandoned that throughout the movie and yeah. just kind of like was like, I- I'm just going to talk normal now like, <laughs> as the movie went on. <laughs> it was like he was putting it a show on for Orsic and he was just like, eh, like, yeah. No, yeah. The, mo- the moment they uh, showed up, I was like, uh oh, I'm going to brace for Eliz's. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, upset about this. Um, and, you know, and, but, you know, as the movie goes on, they end up having, like, they're, like, totally fully fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. They get all, like, um, Leanne, who's the girl. Um, she's a boy. <laughs> she's a boy? A <laughs> she's girl? a boy? Uh, they think she's a boy when they first arrive for well, quite some time. The she's whole wearing thing take, a big hat. Yeah, and the whole thing <laughs> takes place in a monastery where no girls allowed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she's disguised as a boy, but I, what I was going to say is like she gets the best action scenes. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's doing all sorts of crazy stunts. The best. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some cool choreography uh, in the fight scenes. Uh-huh. In some uh-huh. of this. Uh, there's one fight scene where she just starts doing cartwheels for no reason. I love it. Like, yeah. And everything's speed ramped where it's like, I think that there's actual choreography. And if it was just played normal speed, it would look fine. But everything looks hokey the way that it's shot. Yeah. Uh, they also have this amazing pop-up wagon full of, like, freaking weapons and crazy stuff yeah. that I, I kind of loved. Anyway, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about the movie is that the, the their pop-up wagon has, like, it's almost like something I like Diablo. Yeah. Where it has, like, all these different secret weapons and hidden right. tricks. It was and cool. They like come that. back to it a couple times. The first time it pops up just a little bit and they grab out, like, this talisman or whatever. Yeah. And the second time it pops up even further and there's like swords and stuff and you're like, this is kind of a yeah. cool little thing that if I was a kid I'd probably be like, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. Um and you know, mentioning kids like this movie is definitely geared more towards children, I think, than the previous young film. adults. Yeah. yeah. Children yeah. to young adults. Yeah. 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 A boy and his dragon. And that boy is Chris Masterson. Francis. Reese. Fra- oh, Francis. You're yeah, right. Reese is the other one. Oh, yeah. yeah Francis, yeah. the oldest brother from Malcolm in the Middle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and he plays, uh, what's his Joff. character's name? Yeah, Joff. Not Joffrey. <laughs> Joff. Joff the stable boy. Joff, which I was spelling wrong in my notes the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Until I saw his name spelled out in the credits. Which I thought, like, would be pronounced Jeff, but I don't know. It depends. Yeah, it could be either way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's kind of, uh, you know, he's just like a stable boy dreaming of being a knight. Yep. As one does. And he kind of sucks in that he like wants to be a knight real bad. They keep telling him like, you're going to be the master of the stable. Just keep on trucking. And he's like, "Eh, I want to be a knight. I want to be a knight. And then you see the knights are like the cool kids at school Uh basically. And then they bully him. And he's basically like, I want to forego all my friends and everything I care about so I can be a cool-ass night boy. A knight of the old code. The old code night boy gang. He has, like, <laughs> he has this, like, weird, like, kind of rivalry with this other knight that I swear the first couple times I showed that person, I was like, that's cool. There's, like, a lady knight. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he talked, I was like... Oh, oh, he's no Brianna Tarth. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> had no the idea. Actor, the I actor kind of has some these like I don't know, just the way like his haircut and everything. No, it, it, he's also very wooden. Yeah, it looks a little feminine. Yeah, and I was just like, I thought for sure it was a girl until he talked, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, oh no. Yeah, I hmm. thought it was going to be cool that they had like a lady knight or something, but nope, nope. Um, yeah, so not very long into the movie. Uh, Joff discovers that there is a dragon in the basement. Yeah, I, I, Classic did, I did like how um, he kept looking at the sword that was like behind this cage that he really, really wanted <laughs> yeah. again. He's like, if I get that sword, I'm going to become a knight. Mm-hmm. So he like steals some keys or something and he breaks into this cage, picks up the sword from under the pile of hay, and it's just like a broken sword handle. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> But uh, the fact that he went in that cage leads him down to where Drake is. Drake. And they become the bestest best friends. And Drake is an adorable dragon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is a CG puppet monstrosity <laughs> that has a big 
goofy, toothy smile. Yeah, and he's so like innocent and like, hey, what's happening? And yeah. insecure. He's been, he's been raised in a cave underground by monks for his is, entire life. He's yeah. like the Burger King Kids Club dragon. <laughs> yeah. I did think like that the the CG for the dragon looked pretty good in this, but it, it looks a lot more cartoony than. Uh... Yeah, no, they definitely went with a stylistic thing. Yeah, and it, this is the. Almost as if Dragonheart was the movie. This is the Saturday morning cartoon version movie movie. Yeah, a little bit. Stylistically, like, especially with how they made Drake look. Like, he is, he looks like Toothless. Oh, yeah. Except he has teeth. Totally. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, they become fast friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to say another thing about Joff. He's kind of like a little bit, like, prototype... uh, you know Will Turner from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's in the he's in the um, in the stables, like you know, training with a wooden sword. And uh-huh. we get to hear that the famous Dragonheart theme is back. There's this whole like God. little training sequence that he has. Thankfully, they paid <laughs> they paid for it. Uh, they paid for just that theme. Yeah, we get the, <laughs> in the credits. Uh, it's like with this one theme by Randy Edelman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is like. How to Train Your Dragon is derived from, like, the early parts of this movie of them, like, developing the relationship. And it's like, oh, like, I see this. Like, I want to see this movie. Like, I want to watch what's happening here. Yeah. And really, though, it all kind of goes back to, in the end, it goes back to Arthur stuff, too. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Like, um you know, wanting to go rise above his station. Yeah. And I think uh, this tables just, need to be round. This is just from like sort of the stone that I'm thinking of, but isn't there a part where he like is going to go become a knight with what's his face and the other guy and like kind of ditches Merlin and is like, screw you. But then later, like, I don't know. You'll be able to see in Disney's live action version. Kind of <laughs> oh. Starring Will Smith. No, just kidding. <laughs> they are making it. Though. I haven't seen that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that film in so long. I, know, I, I can't I remember. remember. I only remember the squirrel scene. Cause it was it's so, a, it's uh, the- Disturbing. It's the guy who made 28 Weeks Later is making the Story in the Stone live action. Oh, dang. That's okay, well, you know what, Tyler? Let's just get through Tim Burton's Dumbo. We'll take this one step at a time. I can only look forward one live action film at a time for Disney. Okay? I, I read a whole article today that was just been like, here's everything that's coming to Disney's streaming service. And it was just like, oh, God. Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Drake has been, you know, being taken care of by uh, Friar Peter, uh, who's like the old guy, who's like the last person who knows yeah. about um, Brother Gilbert's writings, about dragons, and he's super old, and, you know, we get this scene where, like, he passes away, right? Sure. Uh, and we get this, like, really cute scene that I kind of liked where, um, you know, Joff goes down and, you know, tells Drake that uh, Friar Peter has died, and he he's kind of like you get a little scene where he's like kind of learning about death, and he's just like super super innocent. Like he's like he's uh, he says like he's gone to heaven. Do you know what that means? Yeah, this is actually the the assistant friar guy Mansell. Oh yeah, Mansell. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because he doesn't realize that Joff even found Drake yet. Um, but yeah, Mansell's kind of just like the trainee friar who's like mm-hmm. really lame and like, oh, I'm scared of everything and you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't really keep up with his, uh, monk hairstyle either. Like it kept, I feel like the bald part kept growing back and he didn't like bother shaving <laughs> yeah. it every day, <laughs> but oh well. Um, so this finally leads to, uh, Drake going outside for the first uh-huh. time. Because this whole time he's never been outside. Suddenly he's going to be outside because he wants to go to he wants to like be able to view Friar Peter's right. funeral. 
Um, and so what happens there? Let's see. Oh, Jeff or Joff uh, throws his tunic away and says, like, I don't want to wear this. And then these soldiers come to oh, yeah. subdue him. And <laughs> There's this amazing scene where, like, uh, Joff, Joff and Drake are, like, arguing on a cliffside. And, like, everyone around them, like, can see that there's a dragon up, yeah. in the, up on the mountain. And they're like, oh, my God, what? A dragon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. And then Joff gets in trouble for not wearing his designated tunic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He gets beat up by the thugs or whatever. And um, and then is this is where Os- o- Osric, Osric? Osric? Yeah. sees Osric, that yeah. there's a dragon? Yes, I think he does see it as well. And um, there, this is also where uh, uh, Master Quan and Leanne, uh, like, reveal that they saw the dragon and then all these soldiers come to try and like also because osric told them to leave and they keep not leaving the kingdom because they think that drake is gonna destroy the world yeah because they've seen the comet yeah 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 and so um that's this is where we get the crazy fight with the lots and lots and lots of car wheels (laughs) Um, which was funny. And then when she comes out of the final cartwheel after she has like knocked out the last guy, she like jumps up and turns her head and the hat goes flying off very conveniently and all of her hair comes down and he goes, you're a girl. (laughs) 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 So classic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is. And it's like, like, it also has the moment of like, oh my God, she knows Kung Fu. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. it's, it's rough yeah um but i mean she's cool so it's like kind of whatever but it's like yeah we've seen this scene so many times like right it's one of those things that it hits the beat of where it should work or at least you've seen it work in other movies and the way that it's executed it's something that i think that absolutely probably worked in the page but the way it's executed is with all the speed ramping and everything else it seems like a stereotype but what it's trying to do is empower her and make it a surprise and like and have it be the the beat works it's just the way that it's executed does not yeah and it's hard too because this girl looks like a girl literally the entire time like yeah, she looks yeah. nothing right. like a boy and it's not helped by the fact that i'm sure they were trying to be historically accurate but the hat that she's wearing when she's just when she's disguised as a boy has like a big old horse hair like it looks like a ponytail Pony coming hair, out right. of the top of the hat <laughs> so she really looks like a girl the entire time and like i didn't even until they started saying like oh you and your boy go over there i was like oh okay oh they're dumb yeah you and your son don't belong here so yeah but like if you didn't know that that was a you know historical hat that right. Chinese men wore, you might just be like, "Oh, her ponytail is yeah, yeah, yeah. Is sticking out of that muff," you know, like eh, whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this all leads to a scene where uh, the the knights come the the, the knights that um, Joff has been having this they've like, been talking shit. Yeah, this rivalry with yeah. and like fighting and the river and stuff coming uh, like try to interact with him one more time and they push. Joff off the cliff. Yeah. And he's falling, falling, and Drake, who has been disguised as a rock this entire time. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he can camouflage, which we never saw Draco do, I don't think. Uh, no, Draco camouflage as a rock, too. Oh, really? They're, they're like sitting, I missed that completely. They're like sitting on him at one point. I yeah. thought that was one of his new powers. No. Okay, never mind. But he, so he's like, he comes out of the transformation and flies for the first time because he's never flown because yep. he's been in the dungeon the whole time and uh, catches uh, Joff, and then they go off flying. 
over scenes from the first film. <laughs> we get all these, we get all these shots of them flying over villages, like like that. There were aerial shots from the first. There were helicopter shots from that the first I, movie. I think we're straight up from the. first No, they movie. were. There's one point where Drake gets flatulence and then farts uh, like a fireball, oh, and it's yeah. the same shot uh, uh-huh. as when the hut in the first village is blown up. Oh, like, yeah, it is literally yeah. the same footage. Uh, and, you know, not to say it again, but you can hear more about that in the interview oh. with Sherry Goodhearts. By the way, uh, she called it a fire fart scene that, like, sh- and I was like, clearly it should be called dragon fart. Like, you know, like, that is, uh, if you don't call it that, that's a huge missed opportunity. <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um... So yeah, speaking of uh, like the different things the dragon does in this movie, eventually uh, Quan and Lien start to uh, train. Yeah, Drake that's how a the bit. farting comes about. They're trying yeah. to teach him how to breathe fire, right? Because they have all these like Indiana Jones types tests of last last crusade type yeah. tests of like testing his purity and his heart. Right, and he like throughout the course of the movie, he's passing them. Like he's not corrupt. Like they're often like. We're going to offer you all the wisdom of all dragons ever. And he's like, that was kind of a messed up test, though, because they literally had a crossbow pointed at him. And if he had just been like, well, okay. I mean, like, at what point was she going to shoot him in the face with the crossbow? And it's not clear how he decides, like, because all of a sudden he's like, no, that thing's evil. He just gets scared. He's like, no, I don't want to know all the wisdom of the world. It made me feel all funny. (laughs) So he passes that. I I did like, so like, yeah, so now this is the last dragon left and he Mm -hmm. has a heart, obviously, because he's alive. So now this is like something in him is going to cause mass destruction in the world. Right. So they're just trying to figure out. No, this is an element that I really like is like yeah. that he's an innocent person. It's, it's uh, something that's played up in Hellboy constantly right. where like Hellboy's a hero. He's a good person, but everybody knows that there is inevitable, that there is a part of him that is going to destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of played pretty well in this movie in a way that uh, these tests show. And they, it shows that they don't they don't hate dragons. They don't want to kill him. Yeah, it's interesting because they there's the two different kind of thought circles around these dragons and um, and dragons in general. And again, miscellaneous Sherry, dragons uh, talks about this. But in the east, dragons are like lucky, yeah. you know. And uh, in the west, they were you know scary and should be killed. And the same thing happens when they discover Draco and they know there's this prophecy. The people that are from China are like, okay, but let's test him. Like, let's try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Whereas the king and the advisor guy and the other medieval people are like, dragon, prophecy, we got to kill this dragon. It's the only one we see. So obviously that's the one that's going to destroy the world. Kill it. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, but Orsric wants to use it. He wants to use Drake. Well, there's also the knowledge that dragons can split their heart with people, and right. yeah. that person will become immortal. And so Osric wants to try and get himself in the position of uh, whatever that shithead king was that. from the other movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wants that yummy heart. He's like yeah. trying to butter he wants him that up. Peter Thwaites' heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like uh, trying to butter up Drake by ma- making him the protector of the realm right, and all right, sorts right. of stuff like that. Um, but I want to talk about like we learned that. Apparently, dragons also can breathe ice, mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, or at least the very advanced uh, trained dragons can do this. That's right. They have a fire lung and an ice lung. Would you say that sounds like a song of ice and fire? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. 
I thought that was kind of cool. Like, uh, it's just like a fun thing to add into the whole mythology. Yeah, and give him more powers. Um, but he obviously can't quite, uh, you know, master the ice lung yet. But uh, maybe he will later. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there starts to be a little, you know, teenage sexual tension between Joff and Leanne now that he knows she's a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like there was one part where they like hug and <laughs> Master Quan's just like, that is inappropriate. <laughs> and then it just cuts to another scene. It's like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to double back really quickly to your fire and ice thing because there's an IMDb <laughs> trivia. And I know I'm giving like a spotlight to a crackpot, but I read this and it made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And it's like only two dragons can breathe ice and fire. Drake in this film and Spyro on Game Boy Advance. <laughs> <laughs> the big white dragon, the uh, Bewilder Beast in How to Train Your Dragon 2 cannot breathe fire, so it does not count. <laughs> what? And it's wow. like, that is some solid trivia, IMDb. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> rare company. We have Dragonheart 2. A New Beginnings Drake and mm-hmm. Spyro on Game Boy Advance. That's cool. They're very Not cool. to be confused with all the other Spyro games. <laughs> not to be confused. PlayStation. Yeah. I mean, maybe he doesn't breathe ice in those other he games. He might not. Yeah, I've never okay. played a single Spyro game. So. That's true. <laughs> and that's our promise here at Sequel Rights. No Spyro. <laughs> Once Until they, they announce the, the, yeah. the film franchise. <laughs> like now we're bringing to you Spyro and after that Crash Bandicoot <laughs> yeah. and after the, that the oh, no, didn't they already Ratchet. try to reboot Ratchet and Clank well they made a Ratchet and Clank yeah. movie yeah that's true oh that's god true. <sighs> anyway but Dragonheart <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys what you thought was it just me or it was like almost every scene in this movie had like petals or leaves falling yeah. from the sky <laughs> I was like, what was the pedal budget on this movie? <laughs> Must have been off the... I mean, oh. maybe that was just, like, part of the environment. It was like, no, no, no. All, some of it was sets, and it was always just like, all right, my brother <laughs> has a deal on debris and fans. <laughs> he owns an abandoned fan factory. It's all <laughs> debris and fans. So that's what we, the one thing we got. We don't have to pay for any of it. Let's use it as much as we can. It was like I, I think almost literally every scene that took place in the like main there was, castle. There was shit falling. There was down. like petals falling. Like, and it was like maybe don't worry about that so much as the performance of your actors. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was uh, just a funny thing I noticed. Uh, no, yes, you are correct. That there like was, I was, was like, are there trees everywhere, or do they have servants? <laughs> they have brown coat servants like dropping petals. It's in the, the Greek in the royal it's, court. It's the Greek chorus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, there is uh, this like Mia, lady in waiting. If you're listening out of order, <laughs> this lady in waiting handmaiden character that keeps like feeding the king his medicine like with a spoonful of sugar. Basically, oh, yeah. she's like, "Open wide, here comes the airplane!" And she keeps giving him like this medicine. <laughs> Spoiler uh, alert: it's poison. Yeah, yeah, or it's just like crazy juice or something. All right, yeah. so we are. Uh, so let's get into the meat of of what the plot is here and uh, and what the. What Osric's major goal is. To become king. To become king. Forever. And become immortal. Yeah. Forever. 
Yeah, there's a whole time where <laughs> he wants to be um, immortal forever. <laughs> he he starts befriending Joff and trying to make him, you know, say, "Oh, you can wear a better colored tunic if you're nice to me," you know, like and all that. And then he stages an entire fake battle where he gets stabbed. And Joff sucks because Joff like falls for it. Like, yeah. Falls for it <laughs> yeah. hardcore. Of course, like every good teen character, he has that moment where he's like, "Ooh, cool other people. I'm gonna ignore my old friends now. That's right. Like, I'm popular now." Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Osric goes down in his highly bedazzled tunic and is like, oh, I'm dying. Quick, have your dragon give me half his heart and save my life. And, and Joff's like, do it. Come on. Do it, Drake. You know? And, do it. <laughs> and Drake's kind of like, it would be cool. Everyone's doing Everyone's it, bro. giving their heart it's up, It's so sad, bro. though, because Drake, like, Drake totally is like, well, if my best friend's telling me to, I guess this is it. And he starts opening it up. And then it's Joff that notices that Osric is totally faking. Right. Yeah, because yeah, right. there's no blood. There's, like, no anything. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're wearing swordproof armor. And then... This shows you how much of a fantasy nerd that I am. I was like, that motherfucker is a dragon. <laughs> you thought that from that moment? I thought, what? I thought that he was a dragon in man form. Wow. That's crazy. And, how, and, and, how would you have and, and the person that? I was watching with it was like, what? what? How? What? And I'm like, yeah. Wow. And he was. So there's fantasy precedent for this kind of thing. Absolutely. Okay. Good to know. Dragons can be people, guys. <laughs> They're amongst us. I was just not expecting that. At yeah, all. I, I didn't. Ex- <laughs> were you see expecting it that he later. was like a minion? I just thought he was just a. Bad I just dude. thought he was an evil guy who oh, wanted to live. Forever. So one thing, one thing we messed up, we we we, we left out was that there was a uh, the dragon in the east that made them kill all the dragons in the east was this evil dragon who rose up and tried to fuck shit up, and his name was not Osric, but. Griffin. Griffin. Oh, yeah, Griffin. I was like, I not, he wasn't somewhere. a Griffin. He was just named Griffin. Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that was what the, that was the event that brought Master Quan and them to a life of defending against a second coming of dragons because Griffin's evil doings. Well, and they, I think, I'm pretty sure they make sure to say that everything was chill with the people and the dragons in China and then a dragon like cast off from the West who ran away probably because of freaking Bowen and yeah, everybody exactly. ran away to China and then turned all the dragons there against the people and then they all that's right. right yeah so as usual the white man slash dragon <laughs> has to ruin everything uh, for everybody yep, else yep, yep. <laughs> white <laughs> griffin dragons so <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I I did not so there yeah there's a twist that he's a dragon at the end yeah, yeah I, I thought he was I, I, I was like he's a dragon I didn't see that coming I yeah. was just like I mean there's no again reason that's for him how to big of a nerd a I am I didn't <laughs> see it coming till way yeah. later yeah yeah there's like there's no reason to expect a twist I feel really well, like you guys didn't play Warcraft <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is true very true I was like he could have just been a bad guy I don't know yeah. there is a scene where Osric. Um, <laughs> gets the king to sign a notice and the king's just like okay well what does this contract do and he's like this says that if you die i inherit the kingdom and become king and get all of your belongings and the king's just like okay cool and he's like (laughs) signs it it's like "Mm." there's a speaking of the king who's all like messed up in the head right now there's a great scene where lord ostrich is like um informing him of the dragon and everything and he's just like 
talking all this serious speech to him, and he just like out of nowhere like pulls out a bagpipe and starts like going yeah, and then he's just like okay, and kind of walks off. I thought that was a really funny. Yeah. So there's a. There's a pretty intense uh, umbrella fan battle, of course, in case the kung fu fighting wasn't uh, mm-hmm, Chinese mm-hmm. looking enough. Everybody was. They, yes, they need to. <laughs> Master Quan opens an, a fighting combat umbrella, uh-huh. and she <laughs> brings out her combat fans, and then they uh, they go to town on some more soldiers. Uh, there, I did. Osric this whole time keeps trying to kick them out, and they keep coming back. And there's one part where he's like talking to Joff saying he shouldn't trust Master Quan and he's like these people aren't like oh, you yeah. and me and it's like oh, he, he literally yeah. says look how different they look yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at their slanty little eyes yeah, and yeah. dark hair <laughs> I was like, whoa, dude. Okay. I mean, he's the bad guy. So. Yeah. He's, the first thing he says is like, everybody who's different wears different clothes. Yeah. <laughs> he also says something about like, I was getting like crazy, you know, Donald Trump vibes. And yes. Because he literally says something like, uh, from this day forward, only truth will be spoken in this kingdom. And if you don't tell the truth, you get 10 lashes or something. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, this is a little scary. A little scary. Getting the two real in this. If you're up in his court, you get to wear an ostrich tunic. Ostrich. Yeah, and with with Bowen gone, you would think that they wouldn't say the old code as many times as they did in the first movie, but they found reasons to say it. Yep, a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, because Osric swears Osric... to be of the old. Code. Yeah, was isn't Osric one of like a, he says he a knight is. Or Yeah. he's. I just did think it was funny too that his his costume was eerily similar to the one that. Sir Bowen wears Sir Bowen, but way more bedazzled. Yeah, exactly. It was so bedazzled. Had more studs. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the twist is that he's the dragon, and then uh, I know I blew that, but like I was just like, oh, like he, yeah, he's the dragon. Oh, and the other twist is that Leanne is the princess of China. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, whoa. Wait, when? Since huh? There's like twists coming at you left and right. Yeah, and I don't really know, like why it's important that she be the princess of China instead of just, like, a really cool Chinese girl, but whatever. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just another fun twist. So, yeah, it turns out that that, that uh, heart talisman that they were carrying around it is Griffin's heart, and he wants it back so he can become a dragon. Right. Like, so, like, the, the, they've been carrying this talisman the whole movie. The thing that they offer Drake as, yeah. like, you're going to get the wisdom of all dragons is this heart and he puts his hand over it and he's like uh it's evil but it's in this like weird box and then so griffin finds out that his heart's still around he thought that it was uh destroyed and he's like well i don't need drake's fucking lame heart anymore i just have my own heart now yeah and like the the whole plot twist is like you know it's it's actually kind of a cool extension of the mythology that's set up in uh the original dragon heart where you know there, we have this whole um Scene in the first film where we travel to the the round table mm. and get some information about the purpose of dragons right. and how they are supposed to kind of like watch over man and uh, protect them and then, you know, sometime during their lives, help one out in order to, uh, you know, ascend into get dragon, into the dragon pantheon. And... So we learned that, you know, Griffin, uh, it's not like he had the power to make himself a human. Uh, He, you know, was disgusted by uh, people and turned against them, as Elis mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so then he, uh, his punishment, he was cursed and his punishment for not like fulfilling his dragon purpose, uh, was to, uh, you know, live out the rest of his life in the form of the thing that he hates. Right. Which I thought was really cool. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that that's not uh, the case for all of us because I don't even know. I like, what, what, what would you have be forced to live Ooh, in the form what of? Would be yeah. the form, what would cockroaches. You... Cock- Ooh, I don't know if I hate cockroaches that much. Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just ants when they're in my apartment. <laughs> not the movie Ants? No. With a Z? No, that's uh, yeah. Maybe we'd be forced to live in the form of like Woody Allen. Woody (laughs) Allen. (laughs) That I guess that would be if I fail. Your son's coming for you, and he's gonna get you. (laughs) Oh my god, I love Ronan Farrow so much. This has nothing to do with anything, but I'm obsessed with him, and I liked him before he became like so you know of the moment. Anyways, (laughs) so yeah, um, the big ending is that uh, Drake uses is able to use his ice powers and he freezes evil dragon and immediately like he freezes him very yeah, quickly he was like, and then he just shatters <laughs> i kind of thought those that was cool like when that happened i was definitely like, you know, like yeah and, the, and it's preceded by like a whole dragon battle where they're like yeah, yeah flying through the air the two, and the fire. transformation of osric from a man to a dragon is super grotesque I'm like <laughs> yeah. oh god like it has american in american werewolf in london vibes yeah, yeah it starts yeah. off kind of practical and then like yeah it goes nuts and yeah, then, it kind of reminded me. Oh, you, I don't think either of you was caught up on Legion, but this this creature no. in Legion. If anybody watched the most recent season, Ugh. that's what the dragon reminded uh, me of. Nice. And the and now. the uh, yeah, the design of the dragon looked really cool too. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. like much more easy. You could definitely tell it was eviler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, sinister. I did like that they didn't, you know, the Joff and Leanne didn't like make out or anything. They're just kind of like, "Yay, we're all happy." Yeah, now. we did and it. They, we yeah, kicked his ass. they talked. They said like she went back to China and ruled, and he stayed here and did yeah. that. And, well, yeah. we we gloss over the fact that Joff gets killed. Oh yeah, <laughs> in the end scene. My bad. He does, and then he gets a dragon fart. <laughs> fart. <laughs> I was like, "Did you say fart?" <laughs> So they're going to live forever. Exactly. Yeah. So now Joff and Drake are immortal. So we assume <laughs> that the next two movies are just their immortal buddy comedies. I, I mean, that's Where, like, they could have an 80s road movie. They could have a futuristic Blade Runner movie because they're going to live forever. A heist film. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what you would think. I mean, the way they, they just kind of footage. They just kind of fly <laughs> off at the end. Like, yeah. 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 We're, we're a family now. Drake's the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> it's kind of like the ending scene of uh, Never Ending Story. They're like, and Drake and Joff had many, many more adventures. adventures. Yeah, yeah. But that's another story, yeah. you know? <laughs> I want to see it flash in. forward to present day where they're like robbing banks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> that's basically what Bowen and Draco were doing in the first <laughs> exactly. movie. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, turn and, then into we talk and he about... has he has like a sassy like Bowen skull on his hip. It's like talk, like that's not the old code boy. And he is like, shut up, Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> he like hears his voice. Yeah. <laughs> So things in the credits, uh, there's an amazing song sung by the star, oh Rona Figueroa. She sings the song and it turns out that the lyrics of the song were actually written by Sherry, the screenwriter, which is like so random. And she talks about how that came about. But are we closing out this episode with that song? Uh, if I can find it. Yeah. Hooray. 
<laughs> we definitely need to. I gotta, I gotta see if I can find it. I don't think they put out a uh, soundtrack for this movie, but I will look. I tried Get to look for that song, but I couldn't find it. Get on a chat factory. Sure, you can <laughs> find right. it. Um, and then the director of this movie, Doug Leffler, I, on his Wikipedia says that he was a Cal Arts classmate with Tim Burton, John Lasseter, John Musker, and Brad Bird. Yeah. So I'm assuming if we watch this movie again more closely, we'll find the A113 somewhere in there. But oh, no, maybe, maybe. <laughs> that would be crazy. But yeah, he uh, d- had a decidedly different career than those other guys. Yeah, he, he mentored under Sam Raimi and was like a second unit director on Army of Darkness. Actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I don't know. He's kind of a cool dude. Yeah. So, and the producer, um, Rafaela de Laurentiis, who did the first film and uh, is kind of the steward of this entire series, she mm-hmm. was back for this. And sounds like she really is really involved. So, yeah. So, what is the name of the next movie? Uh, well, don't we got to give it a rating oh, yeah. first? Yeah. How, what, do you, what do you think, Tyler? Ooh, I was going to say, how many secret hidden dragon eggs <laughs> would you give Dragonheart? A new beginning. Um, I think I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna give it five secret dragon eggs, mm. and a lot of that has to do with the crazy twist at the end. Yes, because I thought that was cool. <laughs> Something I was totally he's not a maggot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I was totally not expecting, uh, and then I, I I did like how it uh, you know. I was excited that it was a sequel, and I liked how it expanded the mythology. Sure. Uh, kind of set up in the first... The very slim mythology set up in the first film yeah. is expanded upon here in a really interesting way. There's an ancient classic religion of dragons that we can exploit for money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm a quaid. I don't remember what I said last time, but I'm just going to say that I give this one a six, which I think is higher than what I said about the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it because there's a female character, and uh, I thought she was cool. Um, and also, just in general, the thing that annoyed me the most about the first movie was like jumping back and forth from different tones. And this movie, at least like for whatever you might not like about it, it at least knows what it is and it keeps the same tone of this is like a family young adult film like throughout the whole time it doesn't go into like these crazy weirdo sequences from other genres yeah yeah (laughs) i think i have a weird one i think that it's four secret hidden dragon eggs for me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i enjoyed watching it more than the first one i just think that it's put together in a way that's that's not um Becoming of like all this, all the story beats that are there. Like I think that like on paper, if I read this, I was like, "This is fucking awesome." Uh, and I think that like none of the fight sequences really work, and I think that kind of the design of the dragon doesn't work for the story they're going to tell because it's like it's weird fascist overtones and the dragon <laughs> looks like a goddamn cartoon character. He's and, young. I'm sure he would have matured. And so yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it's more that like I see the potential and so I was more disappointed by it, I guess. And so that made me enjoy watching it less. So just from a pure enjoyment of watching it, I was at a four, but I everything that you said, I enjoyed how it expanded mythology. I liked how it pushed things forward. I liked the, the female characters. Yeah. Um, I think like yeah. I feel like you always base your rating more on like production stuff because like that's your your <laughs> yeah, thing, absolutely. and I'm always like the story and the yeah, character. Yeah, 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 I think absolutely. and Adam Justin somewhere in between, so that's why this like works out kind of well. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's just there's just so much stuff on there that's like there's I there's definitely ideas in this movie, and and the reason it's so low for me is because like the prospect is there and they're not executed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
That's fair. That's fair. Cool. Well, the new beginning has come to an end. <laughs> uh, we... But not quite yet. <laughs> That's right, because there's two more movies. <laughs> uh, up next is Dragonheart 3, The Sorcerer's Curse. Whoa. Oh. Oh, back to the numbers, or first time for the numbers. Yeah. Dragonheart 3. 3. The hmm. Sorcerer's Curse. Yeah, so... And how many more years later is this? Uh, this one is in 2015, so... Oh, so 15 years. It's going to be like we're in modern visual effects times. Ah, <laughs> that's so. a bold statement. I don't know if I'd go that well, far. okay, I mean, close. Closer than, so, closer uh, than 2000. Sure. Sorcerers. Okay, well, we haven't, haven't had any of those yet. Yeah, there haven't so. really been any sorcerers. Are we? You think we're gonna we're bringing in? He's Merlin? gonna curse all dragons to be impotent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you think we're bringing in Merlin into this. Yeah, might, or some, we had some round similar table. evil Merlin. Yeah, swirling. Well, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> didn't Merlin like um, you know live way longer after everybody else in like this cave when the you know when the Transformers come and bring oh, him out of the right. cave <laughs> in that last and horrible drinking. movie? I yeah. still haven't. Seen it was a that drunk Tooch being like a uh, Merlin. Oh, sorry, I just ruined the first scene. Wait, <laughs> Tooch gets drunk? <laughs> yeah, Stanley Tucci plays drunk Merlin yeah. <laughs> in Transformers <laughs> the last night. But Stanley Tucci was already in a Transformers movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, figure that out. He, he, maybe he was Merlin in that one, too. I don't know. <laughs> oh my Sorry, God. I ruined it. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> now, you're way past the spoiler threshold. That no, came absolutely. Out more than a year. Yeah. But now I want to get into Tooch Theories. So <laughs> tune into our new podcast, Tooch Theories. Uh, all right. So, yeah, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh... <laughs> I feel like there's going to be lots of broomsticks in this one. <laughs> lots of broomsticks. Nick Cage. Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, yes. So the Sorcerer's Curse, who knows? Magic stuff. Yay. Maybe yeah. they'll somehow like make more dragons. A female dragon for Drake to... Uh, That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if, uh, yeah, if it's going to continue the story or what. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Considering it's 15 years later, I doubt we're going to see Chris it's Masterson Chris again. Masterson. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It but it could, could be. Still, What's it, he doing? It could still be Drake. Uh, not much. <laughs> I mean, I, he's been in a couple of smaller movies. Sure. Like, I, Yeah, I didn't do Child Star Check-Ins because they were over 18 when they made this Fair movie. Enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair so. enough. Uh, all right. So that's going to bring us to the end of Dragonheart, A New Beginning for us blabbering about. But we have an awesome interview coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, Eliz, where can they get in touch with us? You should check out SequelRights.com for all of our past episodes. Email us, SequelRights at gmail.com. We need franchise suggestions, uh, you know, uh, to reveal some of our secrets. We do not have the next one picked right now, so you need <gasps> to right. let us know, because we do not know. And now um, my vote is for Transformers. Find out <laughs> the theory of Just Drunk so Tooch. Tyler can catch up. Yeah. So and anyways, then check your us out on... that. Put your thumb on the scale. <laughs> Find us on social, at Sequel Rights, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please rate and review us. We enjoy every star you give us. We prefer five, but we'll take what we can get. <laughs> And yeah, yeah. Now uh, you know. Stick around here uh, for an interview with the screenwriter of uh, Dragonheart: A New Beginning, Sherry Goodhearts. Right, we're back here with Sherry Goodhearts, the screenwriter for Dragonheart, A New Beginning. Sherry, thank you so much for being here today. 
You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Uh, we're so excited to uh, have you on here. Um, you know, funny thing I was <laughs> going to mention, you know, I, I bought the uh, DVD of this and there's like a cast and crew section on the DVD and they have, you know, a couple of the actors' names, the director and Rafaela uh, De Laurentiis' name, and then they have you on there, but you don't have your own page. I was like, oh my. I was like, what the heck? How are people going to know, uh, you know, what Sherry's doing, what she's up to? Um, so I'm glad that our listeners are going to get a chance to hear from you directly today. Great. I'm happy to talk about, this was a wonderful experience, so I am happy to talk about it. Oh, awesome. So I guess to start out, can you tell us a little bit, uh, about your background and how you got into being a screenwriter? Okay. Um, I had a desire to work in television ever since I was a kid. And um, I was a huge classic Star Trek fan, okay. and I was I was alive <laughs> and watching when it was first on. Oh man! So um, the fact that my first professional job as a screenwriter was at Star Trek was pretty cool um, at Next Gen. Mm. Um, but before that, I had a career at, at um, Columbia Pictures and the Coca Cola Company, which owned Columbia Pictures, and I worked in corporate PR. So um, it was a wonderful job. I I just fantastic training, world-class training um, in communications. Um, and they actually transferred me to California. I was in the New York office. And um, I had wanted to write television, and so I started writing spec scripts during my Christmas break. And eventually, um, due to corporate stuff, I, had, I left that job with quite a bit of money, and I took a year off, and I wrote some spec scripts. Um, it was, it was in the wake of a merger. It was very awesome actually, <laughs> but I wrote some spec scripts and, um, one of those spec scripts got me into the Warner brothers comedy writers workshop. And the other one got me my internship at star Trek, the next generation It's where I also made my first sale. Nice. And so I was with star Trek in various capacities as an intern and a writer, um, for Three, it covered three seasons, the third, the fourth, and the fifth season. I have episodes in each. And then I took a detour into animation writing, and I did a lot of animation writing. I wrote the first draft or the first couple of drafts of the pilot to Aeon Flux. Oh, wow. Um, basically, what happened was I had never written animation before. I got hired off of my Murphy Brown spec, and... Um, I had never seen an animation script before, but my Murphy Brown made its way to Disney and they just said, we would love to work with you. And I was like, that's so nice. I would love to work with you. <laughs> so um, out of that came an Emmy nomination for a show a lot of people haven't heard of, but it was called Disney's Raw Tunage. I know you guys like wordplay. I've heard of that. Uh, Elias is a is a major Disney fan here, so she knows all of that. Yeah, they recently talked about it at a panel for D23 that I went to, and the creators of uh, DuckTales and um, Darkwing and all those guys were there, and they had mentioned that. It was it was great, yeah. And I read I I read about you and your love of all things Disney. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that. I also know a little bit about you, Justin. Um, oh no. And, and, Eve is a beautiful song, by the way. Um, so let's get back to Dragonheart. Um, so I, I detoured into animation for a while, and basically the phone just didn't stop ringing, so I didn't have to look for work. Um, and eventually I started realizing that I didn't come out here to write animation, so I basically started saying no to work, which a lot of people will not do. Mm -hmm. 
um, but it's going to come back again in a second. Um, and I started writing new spec material, which got me more work. And um, I got to do the stuff I wanted to do writing um, on staff at a TV show. And I started getting phone calls the year after that job ended from various friends saying that Universal wanted to do a series of movies based on the movie Dragonheart. And I had never seen Dragonheart. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, I just wrote two new specs and I, I want to work in television. I don't really know very much about writing movies. And I said, no. But then I started recommending people that I thought would do a good job. So I recommended this friend and that friend, <laughs> who people who I thought would, you know, get the feel of what I thought Dragonheart was, you know, some kind of fantasy with a dragon in it. And eventually, I guess some of the people who were talking to me were also talking to Universal and Raffaella De Laurentiis. And my manager gets a phone call and says, Raffaella wants to meet Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, I better go. Oh, excuse me, am I allowed to swear? Yes, that's totally fine. Okay. It's a podcast. Okay. <laughs> so um, I wrote a lot of animation for children. So language is important. Yeah. Um, but I got this phone call and I'm like, well, I better go watch Dragonheart. Because <laughs> I can't say no. If Raffaella, do, just like, you know, you guys track me down, well, Raffaella tracked me down. <laughs> and um, she just had heard things about me and it was a sweepstakes pitch. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. So a sweepstakes pitch is the idea that they know they're going to make this thing and they want to get as many people in as possible mm -hmm. and hear as many different ideas as they can. So they have a lot to pick from. So I was one of gazillion people who pitched for Dragonheart, which <laughs> back then was just called Dragonheart 2. And so I studied the movie. I read the book. Um, I mean, I watched it a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I, I understood the movie really deeply. And um, I read the book and I just I got my hands on everything I could before I went in to see Raffaella. And um, at the pitch, uh, I did something that I don't think any other writer she'd ever met did because she was a movie person and I was a TV guy. Mm -hmm. And most people, when you go in to pitch a movie, you pitch the best story you can pitch. And all I was told pretty much was a boy and his dragon. I watched <laughs> the movie and a boy and his dragon. So um, instead of, I mean, I had a story, it had a beginning, middle and end, and I was very happy with it. But like I said, I'm not, I wasn't a movie person. Mm -hmm. But what I was, was deeply entrenched in what makes TV shows work, which is in a lot of ways, relationships. So what I came up with was a relationship, an interesting one between a boy and a dragon that I knew I could drive at least 10 movies out of. Because <laughs> I knew I could get at least 10 episodes, 100 episodes of television out of it. So I figured out, okay, 100 episodes of television, you know, 10 or 15 movies, and everybody will be happy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that, she had never met anyone. What she told me afterwards, she had never met anyone who thought like I did. And even though she said, told me later after I had the job, that my story wasn't her favorite story, but she knew that I had something with this idea about the relationship between the characters. And she just wanted to hang out with someone who thought like me. Oh, wow. That's great. So it, it was marvelous. It was <laughs> truly marvelous. So, uh, you know, you, you talked that you went into this with a pitch and I, uh, you know, I, we, we, uh, towards the end of our episodes usually do like a little, um, 
you know, predict what the next movie is going to be about based only on the title. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, looking at the title, we were like, oh, it's definitely a prequel. It's got to be about, you know, all the dragons are dead. So this must go mm-hmm. back into the past. Um, and, you know, you said you had a pitch. What, was that ever an idea that you had or was it always going to be a continuing of the, the current storyline? It Actually, it didn't occur to me to do a prequel, to be honest. But but here's the here's one of the things, reasons why Raffaella, I think, wanted to work with me. I think I was one of the few people who knew where the new dragon was going to come from. Mm. She had changed one word in the original movie, and I caught that change. <laughs> it was he to she. Oh, and wow. I knew that the dragon, the last dragon that died before Draco was female. Mm. And because of that, I knew I could generate a new dragon. And nice. no one else caught that. At least as far as I know. It's possible someone else did. <laughs> but my understanding is I was the one who caught that she had, she was thinking sequel when they made the first movie in 96 or 95, I guess it came out in 96. Um, and, uh, I picked up on it because I remember I watched it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. So, um, as you then started writing, how did you decide, uh, like what elements of the original film and story uh, to bring back into the sequel and what to leave behind? That that's a really cool question. Um, the first big answer to that is the first movie was a big budget adult film with very adult themes and content. Mm-hmm. And our little movies, our little movie series was going to be made for a family audience. So there were certain things like rape that was not going to be in this movie. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so writing for a family audience, and that was something else that I had a background in because, you know, Aeon Flux was the anomaly. Most of the things I wrote was science fiction for 12 year old boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I knew how to, you know, come up with ideas that wouldn't talk down to kids. At least I felt because I felt it. I had to be engaged by the story too. So there were certain mandates that um, there was footage from the first movie um, that hadn't been used Hmm. that we could save a lot of money using. So um, there was a fire fart sequence (laughs) that I had to write into the movie. Oh man. And I did. (laughs) Yeah. I was wondering, uh, I was actually wondering about that because you know, we, we, uh, watched the movie this week and there were a couple scenes. I was like, I think that looks like, you know, footage from the first movie or something. So that's, that's cool to know that they, uh, you know, use some unused footage. Well done, Justin. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was it. It, 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 the lighting is slightly different. The color correction is really good, but if you really are attentive and professional, you might be able to pick out the scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, it was important to me because I had done a lot of research on dragons. If you can tell, I, I like research. So um, I, I like the idea that Western idea of dragons and Eastern idea of dragons was very different. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to play the tension and the conflict, but also the similarity between, you know, it's still a dragon, but in the West, they're seen as like evil, dark, bad things. And in the East, they're auspicious. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're, they're wonderful things that protectors, and that's why Drake becomes the protector of the realm. 
So, and I wanted Chinese characters. I wanted Asian characters. And um, I had worked on another job and I actually had done research on this too. And I knew that there were bones of Asian Chinese people found in Ireland in the year 400. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I knew, I knew that people were, long before we thought they were, people were walking around across this planet. Yeah. And um, the idea that you have to fly is just not true. People walked. <laughs> and so I put that in with Leanne and, and Quan. I think his name is Quan in the final version of it. I'm trying mm -hmm. to remember if it was. Yeah? Yeah, okay. that's correct. Yeah. Okay, because in the first draft, it was the name of the town that Lao Tzu came from, from the Tao Te Ching. But I knew we had, we had, we, it didn't clear. So oh, we, wow. we ended up with Quan. Um, so I, I knew that was an element that I really wanted. I knew I wanted a girl who um, uh, would kick some ass. <laughs> um, I knew I wanted that. I knew that, remember, the, the relationship with, between the boy and the dragon basically came down to the boy was the, the personality of the boy who wants adventure and glory is stuck in a human body. And the dragon has the personality of someone who wants to just be helpful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he's not he's afraid to fly and he's been protected his whole life because of this prophecy about a dragon's heart bringing evil. And so I, I linked those things together from the East and the West to create this mythology. But another thing that Raffaella really wanted was she loved the mythology of the stars, how the dragon's souls went up to the stars. And um, so that was something I had to be able to retell as much of the story of the original movie in mm -hmm. family friendly form and keep the aspects of wonder that Raffaella wanted. And one of the beautiful things about working on this film was that communication was really important to me. And Raffaella was not a native English speaker, mm -hmm. which turned out to be a huge benefit because I could over communicate with her. So an American or someone, a native English speaker might've gotten frustrated with me trying to really find out what she wanted, whatever she wanted, I was going to give her, <laughs> but she had to articulate what she wanted. So I was able to really keep at her. I'm not sure I understand that, Raffaella. Can you say that in English a different way? <laughs> and um, so I had a really good sense of, um, you know, how she thought and what she wanted. And I was able to really nail down that I had a wonderful development exec. I'm still, in fact, I had lunch with him today. I'm still friends with. Oh, wow. Um, who is just, he was so marvelous to work with in the development process of this film. Um, he and Raffaella, it was just a joy. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. Raffaella is just, she makes everything fun. <laughs> and, and she also makes sure everybody's well fed. I learned a lot about, you want to have a happy set, make sure there's good food. <laughs> um, I was listening a little bit to your interview with um, the guy from Tremors, S.S. Uh, S.S. Wilson, yeah. Wilson. And he started his interview. I didn't listen to the whole thing. But for contrast, he started his interview how he found out when he first sold his first thing, um, Short Circuit maybe, mm -hmm. that um, the writers weren't welcome on the set, which is very typical in Hollywood. But my experience at Dragonheart was the opposite. I was involved with every, without a producer title, 
I was involved with casting. I had a say on who um, the director was the director. I wanted to do it. Doug Leffler, I knew, had directed the pilot to Xena Warrior Princess. Mm. And I knew he would get what I wanted. And then I could let go of it. In other words, I knew that if, if they had the director who had the sensibility that I wanted, I could just keep my mouth shut because he, I could just hand it to him. And yet he still wanted my input and Raphael still wanted my input. So I was flown to Slovakia <laughs> to do the production rewrites on set. Oh, wow. When I came back from Slovakia, they were still shooting. I was there for the first two or three weeks. And um, I came home. As the footage was coming back, as the dailies were coming back to the editor, Rafi and, and Doug were still, and the production team were still in Slovakia shooting the movie, but I was sitting next to the editor in the edit bay at Universal, and that's something that I don't think many directors or producers would have wanted, is the writer in the editor's ear. Yeah, that's, and that, that's amazing. And, you know, and my input was solicited i was at the scoring session i was at the special effects house there was no part of learning about how to make a movie that raffaella kept from me i got to talk to um the production accountants and um it was just an amazing amazing experience that that that's uh that's so cool uh that you, you were so heavily involved so like do you feel like the uh you know the final product uh, of your script is kind of like what ended up making it, you know, on, on screen with, with what we see in the final version of the film. The movie is definitely about what I wrote. The characters are there. I, the, the, the draft that I wrote that was greenlit um, actually had a 13 year old lead character. Hmm. That is the green light draft. That's the one, by the way, that was nominated for a writer's guild award. Um, not the conformed script. Hmm. So, as we were going into production, it switched and casting, it switched from 13 to 17, which is a huge shift. Mm -hmm. And we hired Chris Masterson and um, that did that did change some things. But this is my the best way I can put it. The movie is an amalgam of all of us. And that was one of my priorities for me as the keeper of like the theme of the movie, which I actually didn't tell the studio what the theme was until we were on set. Uh, Doug knew it right away. And that's why I knew that he want that I wanted him to work with us. He totally understood the theme of the film. Um, so it's, it's all of us and, and, and all of us are in it. Like the characters are all people that were working on the movie <laughs> and I didn't tell any of them. But it helped give me something to hang on to as we were shaping scenes and finding voices. See, I'm used to working in television where the voice is already there. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in a feature film, this was one of the biggest things for me is even though the world existed, none of the character voices existed. And so and that was another reason why they brought me to the set was, you know, I had to be able to make adjustments for what the actors were actually doing rather than what was in our, my head when I wrote it. So, um, in post, go ahead. Go ahead, finish. I was just saying in post, I also wrote all the ADR. Okay. Oh, nice. Um, so it, it's just, it, but but we're all in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of us. It's not just me, and that's it's a, it. It really reflects the collaborative experience of you know healthy, happy people working together on a project they all loved because the project was the most important thing. That was the best thing from working with Raffaella was. 
it wasn't about anyone's ego. It was about how do we make the best movie we can with the limitations that we have. Okay. Um, so were there any scenes or story elements that you were really attached to that uh, either ended up on the cutting room floor or, or got taken out of the script? Hmm. There was a scene in there that they cut the movie because um, Raffaella, once she was back, I was no longer quite as there next to the editor because the director was there with the editor. And I remember when she gave me the final cut of the film and said, you have to go home and watch this and call me right afterwards. And she didn't tell me there was a scene missing and I didn't miss it. <laughs> but there was a scene I really liked that took place in a cave where the, the, two, the two main characters who have been sort of hiding their feelings from each other a little bit have to like talk it out. And the problem was pace. It, we were leading up to this big scene at the end, and this big talky scene just stopped everything cold. And so Doug and Raffi and the editor pulled the scene out. And I hold, watched the whole movie, and I didn't notice it was gone. <laughs> so clearly we didn't need the scene. As much as I liked it, it totally was superfluous. Um, you know, speaking of the, the ending of the movie, um, you know, at at this point in the episode, we've spoiled uh, everything that's happened, so you don't have to worry about hiding the ending or anything. But um, okay. I am so curious how you uh, came to the idea of like this the twist ending where uh, Lord Osric ends up being a cursed <laughs> cursed dragon, um, you know, that had escaped Sir Bowen's original like dragon killing spree from the first film. I I, I just thought that was such a it was something that I didn't see coming, and I thought that was such an interesting expanding of the mythology of how, you know, dragons work and, and the souls that they have to redeem themselves and everything. I just thought that was interesting. So I'd love to hear more about that. Um, well, part of it was, you know, Ostrich really wasn't European. He was Chinese. Mm -hmm. So um, even though, the you know, we, we cast it was it was a, you know, it was a fake out. <laughs> And the fake out basically came, by the way, from my love of uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, which had come out, what, four years earlier? Um, you know, I loved the idea. I remember watching Beauty and the Beast with a bunch of kids, and um, they didn't understand that a handsome man could be bad. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to play that game. Mm -hmm. And we pulled it off. When I watched Dragonheart, A New Beginning, with kids, they were shocked, you know, that and a lot of little girls wanted to know. I don't know if you noticed there was a um, a handmaiden in the castle. Mm -hmm. And when we watched the movie with children, a lot of little girls sat up and go, "Who's she? Who's she?" Because she was the pretty girl. And meanwhile, my heroine had a you know was dressed as a boy and had a fake mustache. On. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know that was part of my storytelling technique is you know the importance of things are not what they appear which basically is at the heart of any story you're going to tell, I think. I don't mm -hmm. think any good, satisfying, successful story doesn't have somewhere in it. Things are not what they appear. So that is the game that you're talking about by changing things, that, you know, the handsome, heroic man is really a, a fascist. And, um, you know, he doesn't have he, – he looks down on everyone. He's arrogant and – um, he just has no patience and he just had all of the qualities of humans that I wanted to show children. He's racist at one point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to show, you know, dramatize that things are not what they appear. So 
I actually seem to remember having conversations with um, a bunch of different people about getting that twist. It was not in there originally. Hmm. Um, it was something that came out of conversations with just people that I trusted. Um, and so I think, you know, having, having, being, having, having safe people to talk to is a really good, that's what, you know, in television writers rooms are that hopefully they're safe. Hmm. Um, but I think it was just most of the story was there, but that twist definitely was not planned. I knew that the, the heart swap was going to happen. Um, in fact, in my original pitch, the heart swap happened at the beginning of the movie. Oh, wow. the story and which if we had done another sequel back then we would have started there hmm. um but we when when we put the heart swap at the end of course everything had to change um but i really think that bit that you're talking about which i love too and i don't feel i can take i mean i wrote it <laughs> but ideas and and that's an important thing you a writer is is the person who puts things down and fixes it in a form Talking is not writing. Mm -hmm. So the people that I talked to, you know, in developing that ending, you know, I, it still required my skill, whatever, to actually make it work. But it was conversation. Mm -hmm. It really was just conversation. I need some other bit and I don't know what it is. And just talking to trusted people who had good story sense. Okay. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Beauty and the Beast. Uh, so were you excited then to work with Robbie Benson? <gasps> I only met Robbie once. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in, and totally in passing, I think all the work was done by the time I met Robbie. Um, and so I, I did not fan gush on him. I could have. <laughs> um, I probably did say something about how that movie was so special. Um, but I, I, you'll be, you'll like this part. It was, um, I had been at the, do you know about the pencil test version of, of, um, Beauty and the Beast? I, I think so. I've I'm going to link yes. it up to Dragonheart in a second. Okay. So Beauty and the Beast, um, I, I was working at Disney at the time in corporate. And um, they had a screening for employees with the directors were there. And it was down at the, um, was it the El, it's the El Capitan Theater, right, that Disney owns? Yes. They had just bought it. And so we were one of the first groups in there. And they showed the movie where it's mostly finished. Well, the soundtrack is all there. All the music is there, but not all the sequences are done. So they and they put all the pencil tests in. And so the, I saw the entire movie, but whole sequences were done in pencil. And it was a really cool way of seeing the process of making an animated film. And Dragonheart is live action, but it has a lot of animated sequences in it. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, when Doug Leffler was hired, part of the reason Rafi hired him was he was also a conceptual artist. So she was basically getting two jobs functions for the price of one. So Doug did enormous amount of um, uh, uh, conceptual art, but he also storyboarded like everything. So when they were in Slovakia and I was here with the editor they were, of course, talking because people on the set or from the special effects house in California were there in Slovakia, you know, with the stick with the tennis balls on it. So you have the eye line with the dragon and <laughs> measuring everything out to make sure everything would fit. But Doug would um, draw things that the, the special effects house was it was a communications issue. 
And the Fex House just wasn't getting what Doug wanted. So the editor and I talked to Doug and Rafi, and we all were talking about this. And Doug started doing these because I think I mentioned Beauty and the Beast and maybe. Um, <laughs> but Doug started generating these pencil test things, which the editor would scan in and then place on the film and then run it by Doug. And we'd all look at it and then it would go to the special effects house and the special effects that were coming back. You know, it was it, it was roughs. So the gra- the dragons were all gray. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no detail in it. But we were able to see, yes, that's the placement. Yes, that's the timing. Um, and so <laughs> the editor and I would be sitting there with these pencil drawings, you know, placing them on, you know, the editor was doing it. But I was there, you know, getting it on the frame and then. So we did our version. So there is a pencil test version of Dragonheart. I have it somewhere. Nice. <laughs> wow. Sweet. And I, I, so it makes me happy because I feel like I'm part of that tradition that, because I, I just think that Beauty and the Beast is one of the best movies ever made. So, um. It, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, and I'll say this too. At the, at that screening I was at, um, as we were leaving, the two directors were there and I, I went over to them to shake their hands and, I remember thanking them for what I thought was the first truly feminist fairy tale. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, l- I'd love to ask about a, uh, another piece of writing you did uh, for the film. Um, we noticed uh, there's a song that plays, you know, yes. the ad credits called My Heart Goes <laughs> With You. And it comes up in the end that the lyrics were written by Sherry Goodhearts. <laughs> That's correct. And, and I'm so glad that you noticed because you are a music supervisor. That's right. <laughs> on one of my favorite shows. Oh, you work wh- on Lucifer. Oh, nice. Oh, I'm so, so, gl- so um, glad. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so, I really would like to talk about this song. Cause, and it's hard to talk about Dragon Heart 2 and not mention Mark McKenzie who was our composer mm-hmm. and just a delight to work with wonderful. And, um, Raffaella had wanted, she said all along that she wanted like, you know, the pop songs at the ends of the Disney movies, um, where they just have some major star come in and record some pops from, you know, some song from the film. Yeah. And, um, she really wanted that. And so Mark wrote a song, you know, he wrote, he, structured out this this song with and it was sort of asian sounding because of the characters and rafi and i we were talking about this and i told her that i had worked on a project um with some friends when i was working at disney that we had actually pitched to disney um and i had done a lot of i had a background in musical theater and Hmm. um i had written a lot of lyrics already and i would be honored to write the lyrics and so we had a dollar deal um which I don't know if I ever got the dollar. Uh, <laughs> but um, I wasn't going to charge her money for the, I don't think my manager or my lawyer were that happy at the time, but I really wanted to do it. And so um, Mark sent me this, and I'll never forget it, because um, I get this tape, and I listen to it, and, you know, it's just this beautiful music. And I hear the refrain, and I like, my heart goes with you. It fits the music perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's what the movies, you know, that's one of part of the lore of the original, you know, it's part of the mythology of the original dragon heart is that they share a heart. Yeah. So um, I believe I wrote the first draft of that song in under a week. Nice. It just, it just came pouring out of me. And a lot of it was, like I said, you know, all the people in the movie, I write a lot from my heart and my own emotional experience. I want things to be emotionally authentic and honest so I had people in my life that I had lost for various reasons. 
and they are in that song. The song is thematically about how no one loved is ever truly lost. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved working with Mark. It yeah. I think, a joy. I think it was a great way to, you know, kind of send the, send the uh, movie out on like a even more emotional, positive note. I, I liked it. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you so so after, you know, production was over and the movie was complete, what was it, the aftermath like for you when the movie uh, came out on video and what kind of feedback did you get from people in your life? Um, well, I'm going to insert one little thing first before I answer that. Um, sure. The movie came out well enough that the head of the regular motion picture division wanted to release it theatrically. Nice. And just the fact that they even considered that there was one week where it was like, we were sure they were going to release it theatrically, but we had shot it in the aspect ratio. Doug had shot it in the aspect ratio for a television screen. Mm -hmm. And there were light stands in the frame. If we expanded it out, oh, no. and they could have invested the money, but someone, they ran the numbers. And of course it would have cost too much money to, and the CG wasn't up to, um, I don't think it was at the resolution that they needed. So it wasn't released in movie theaters. However, it was released in movie theaters, I believe, overseas in certain places. Mm, cool. Nice. Um, when it came out, sadly enough, um, Blockbuster was having, because that's how most of these movies made a lot of money back then. Mm -hmm. um, there was some kind of corporate issue and it did not go into a lot of blockbuster stores at the numbers we had expected. So um, it wasn't as widely seen as I would have liked. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, one of the things I did was there was a children's film festival that year, the year of the movie, because we made it in 98. But I don't believe it came out until 2000 or even 2001 and probably 2000. Yeah. And because, um, yeah. Um, so I, I got it into that film festival and um, it was fun watching with kids, certainly, and their <laughs> parents. Um, but the the big thing for me was getting that Writers Guild. It was my second WGA award nomination in in. Uh, for both the scripts I wrote for hire in 1998 were both nominated for WGA awards. And it just, they, because of timing, they, it happened two years apart, but, um, that was a big deal for me. Yeah. That was just being recognized by my peers. And that particular nomination is not for the final film. It's for the script. And I gave them the green light script, not mm -hmm. the conformed. So it's, uh, it was wonderful and exciting and, you know, I had been produced so many times before that it wasn't like my first thing, but it was certainly the longest thing I had ever written. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that the original plan was to do, you know, 10 different movies. How did you eventually find out that that wasn't going to be the case? And I mean, how did you deal with that? Um, I take, I, I worked in the business. Like, you know, I started right out of college. I was pretty much, I had a TV academy internship and then i was hired for by columbia and um so i've been in the business a really long time and i tend not to take anything personally mm -hmm. 
in the business. So if someone doesn't like my writing, I don't want to work with them, but it's not about me. And they don't really want to work with me. If they don't like my writing, then that's not a good fit. So, you know, for Universal deciding, even though they had planned on making a lot of these movies originally back then, you know, it just didn't happen. So I moved on to other things. Great. So then have you uh, ever seen those other two uh, Dragonheart movies? Did you have any thoughts on those? I have seen um, three. I have not seen four. I know it's out. Mm-hmm. Um, I am thrilled that they're making them. I know the pe- I know the man who's writing them. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy for him. So it doesn't take anything away from me. I think Raffaella might have been concerned at some point that, you know, I, that she was leaving me behind and I never felt that. This is, this is a business and they did what they needed to do to get it made. I'm a WGA writer and I don't work non writers guild on film product that, you know, has live action in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, there were just reasons why it wasn't going to happen. And that's, like I said, not personal to me at all. And I am, it also doesn't hurt me because the more movies they make, the more people are going to see mine. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I understand business. So, um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm thrilled that they're all working together. The other thing that you should know, because this is a really fun little fact, <laughs> is that, you know, the original Dragonheart was made in 96, and Raffaella stored the costumes and the props in Slovakia. So when we made the film, we didn't have to rebuild all that stuff. Hmm. So I think we have a $20 million looking movie that we made for under 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really impressive. And uh, yeah, I was reading about like the castle that they filmed at and, it, you know, lots of lots of uh, history going on there. That's really, really great. It was it was beautiful. It was cold. And wet. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> we were there in October. It was oh, cold no. and wet in the, in the mountains of Slovakia. But <laughs> I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. <laughs> well, uh, Sherry, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. Uh, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Um, are there any projects that you're currently working on or anything coming up that people can, you know, keep in touch with you, track you down? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not the, like you found the way to track me down. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that is the way to track me down. I am not engaging the internet the way I used to anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is, a, I just think it's a soul sucker. So yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a wonderful life and I want to live real life. I don't want to live a virtual life. So, um, I'm not that easy to find. What I can tell you is I work for, um, Sid Fields widow. And I just finished a blog post hmm. for them that will be out, I believe, in August about um, uh, this has to do with the way new television shows, streaming television shows are structured um, that I'm pretty happy with. I wrote another blog post for them last year because I last year I went to Singapore and I developed eight television shows in 10 weeks. And trained eight writers how to create television, three of which are being produced for the Singaporean market. Oh, wow. So uh, there's a blog post about that. I have a blog, which I don't update anymore. I'm also a yoga teacher. (laughs) And I've had many, many careers. So, And I edit novels. Oh, that's Um, great. So people can look for Lady Sherlock, Circle of the Smiling Dead, written by Arthur, uh, sorry, Brooks Arthur Wachtel. 
they can look for um oh gosh i didn't i didn't prep all of this part of it um <laughs> it's okay uh i i work for work for a company called books independent um and i i edited two books for them one is called um oh under the shadow i think it's called children of the first star by jmk which is a young adult novel that i edited and the other one is um called the fabulous life f fabulous f-a-b-l-i-s-s <laughs> life of bella melman which is about this woman who's turning 70 and it is just a delightful um insight into um getting older in america for women and it has beautiful charm and comedy and it's lovely so i'm busy editing those things um, i'm developing a non-fiction television show that i can't talk about very much right now mm-hmm. um I'm always working on coming up with something that fills a hole in the market. So um, I do have a big project that I spent most of last year working on. Again, I can't speak about it very much. And it is something that is big and splashy. And if I can pull it off, that will be awesome. (laughs) But um, it's hard to work in a vacuum. I like collaboration. So um, that's why I'm doing a lot more of the nonfiction piece because the collaborator and it's just after Singapore doing this thing is just a delight and easy. Um, so I have no idea if any of these things are going to come about, but <laughs> I am editing the next Lady Sherlock novel. So that will be coming out. That's great. Um, so that's, that's what I'm up to. Well, we will have to keep an eye out for all of your upcoming projects. Uh, and we, yeah, we hope to see some of those, uh, Coming out soon sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you again so much for speaking with us. Uh, it's been great, and we enjoyed the movie, and uh, looking forward to seeing what you do next. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. You're most welcome. Take care. <laughs> Bye. 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 See the sun's last glimmering ray Fading fast to end our day Though I long for you to stay, spirits call and you obey. You'll fly far.